Greetings, citizens. This is Cavalier Prime. I wish to dedicate this episode to the six dead members of the official Cavalier fan club, Bronx, New York chapter. Words cannot express my outrage and sadness over the loss of these fine young men and women. My heart goes out to their family and friends. And to the person who used these kids' email accounts to ask me, specifically, to, quote, give it back, and, I kid you not, stop being such a grouch. I say, never. You have just proven to me why I cannot give up. And you have proven to me how important it is to keep that particular weapon out of your hands. You want it? Quit your games and come ask for it. In person. Don't send any more puppets. Oh, and speaking of puppets, congratulations, Tropic Cyclone, for using a Titan to destroy a cruise liner. Of course, it would have been more helpful if you had returned the Kraken when you were done playing with it. I really have quite a bit on my plate without your radius right now. Thanks. Your attack was, however, an excellent distraction for an FBI raid on the Ballard Group's headquarters. Also present were several members of the SEC, and a swordsman with a knack for teleportation and cracking Ballard Group encryption. Oh, since you asked TC, his robotic horse was standing guard on the roof. I'm told the swordsman insisted he was just a process server doing his duty, and definitely not out to humiliate a rival. Anyway, the raid netted quite a lot of potential evidence. Every single thing saved on their servers, in fact. This level of download had never been attempted before, and may have damaged certain files relating to a Daredevil television show. I apologize for that inconvenience. Other things went wrong. Worse things. The FBI had requested psychic backup in addition to their... Well, who am I trying to fool? It was me. I'm told Emerald Siren herself made a few calls and convinced the head of the FBI that the request for psychic assistance was... Silly. Lives were lost. Several captured researchers committed suicide, and the first FBI unit in turned on the second unit in. I'm keeping a tally, Dr. Ballard. I'm quite good at math. And, Emerald Siren, I've started to tally for you, too. I came to you before I ever went to the FBI. You wouldn't even open your door. Anyway, back to Tropic Cyclone, and how she let her pet roam without a leash. I used the defenses of a certain Atlantean colony to trap the Kraken, should your grandfather want it back. Thanks for setting that little thing up. Oh, and last I saw, he was chasing an Atlantean raiding party armed with, among other things, the God's Torment. I don't like that weapon. Please, leave it in Atlantis in the future. You might want to hurry getting them back, by the way. As you know, there's not a lot of water where they wound up. I have also heard there are some rumors of a giant sea creature stomping through an Argo research station, and in the chaos, they lost almost all of their stored technology from our recent invaders, along with the data relating to that technology. I claim no knowledge of this event. I can truthfully say I have no way to directly control the Kraken, and therefore, trying to use it for my own purposes would have been reckless and stupid. Does that really sound like me? But at least the current incarnation of Argo, and, coincidentally, the Ballard Group, no longer has access to such dangerous technology. I have some things to say about Jade Phoenix, Colonel Creed, and some other things Tropic Cyclone has been going on about. But, honestly, I feel it important to get back to having some fun. I think most everyone will agree, life is just so much better when I'm having fun. So let us get on with the entertainment, shall we?
My first movie is going to be Batman Begins. I watched this one as a favor to Shrike. I am not entirely sure why, but he was very troubled by the movie's Tropic Cyclone reviewed. Since he has been indispensable in my investigations, this was the least I felt I could do for him. The plot of Batman Begins is fairly simple, but much of it is told in flashback. And flashbacks within flashbacks. We again see Bruce Wayne's parents get murdered by a mugger. This time, he mopes around for many years, instead of immediately training to become Batman. When he learns his parents' killer, Joe Chill, is going to be released early in exchange for testimony against a mob boss, Bruce buys a gun and plans to kill him outside the courthouse. He does not get the chance. Instead, the mob boss, Carmine Falcone, has Chill assassinated. Rachel Dawes, Bruce's childhood friend and an assistant DA, gives Bruce a pep talk afterward. It includes a much-deserved slap in the face. Even after that, Bruce confronts Falcone, planning to kill him for being denied his intended revenge, I guess? Instead, Falcone gives him another pep talk. This one includes a couple of thugs beating him badly. It is after this second talk Bruce decides to go walkabout. Again, this time with the plan to become a force capable of standing up to men like Falcone. Bruce is eventually found by a man calling himself Ducard. Ducard says he works for Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows, a group of ninja assassins that work to restore justice to the world. A long, subtext-heavy training montage follows. Eventually, Bruce is offered a position in the League of Shadows and, surprise, they turn out to be evil. Ra's al Ghul wants Bruce to go back and prepare Gotham for destruction by the League of Shadows. Because, apparently, this will teach the world that evil will always be punished. And, of course, that means the rest of the world will hold hands and sing in harmony. <sighs> I'm going to have to say this twice this episode, and I still want you to listen closely. Punching people for peace is really, really evil, and will never work. No one has ever said, Those people got hurt. I'd better be nice. And this means all you really did was punch people for no reason. Or kill them, which is even worse. And that is what the League of Shadows was planning for Gotham. So, anyway, Bruce escapes from the League of Shadows, accidentally killing Ra's al Ghul in the process. But he also manages to save Ducard. After that, Bruce makes his way back to Gotham with the intention of using his new skills to shut down Falcone's criminal organization. To do this, Bruce secretly requisitions some experimental military equipment from his family business, and he decides he's terrified of bats, and therefore he'll use a bat motif in the hopes of scaring criminals, too. I've heard stupider ideas, but this part is certainly more drawn out than it needs to be. I mean, really, once you decide to slap on a mask and punch into big leagues, picking your costume is easy. Anyway, Bruce makes some headway dismantling a Falcone mob, but soon discovers an even bigger threat. It seems someone was using Falcone to bring large quantities of a very dangerous hallucinatory drug into Gotham. Even worse, they seem to be stockpiling it, not selling it. The trail leads to Jonathan Crane, a respected criminal psychologist, and it turns out Crane is working for Ra's al Ghul. He has put the drugs into the water supply and plans to vaporize Gotham's reservoir, and then drives the city mad with fear naturally leading to everyone killing everyone else. And the world, I guess, learning its lesson. <sighs> okay, so I actually did build a weapon like the one in this movie not too long ago. 
I'm not saying that's impossible. I'm just saying that boiling tap water is something that happens a lot in a large city. The whole plan would have unraveled the first time some random guy decided to cook spaghetti. So, anyway, Ducard shows back up and claims he was the true Ra's al Ghul the whole time. Now Bruce has to save Gotham and, of course, defeat his mentor in battle. Since there are two sequels, I'll leave it to you to figure out whether or not he succeeds. So what can we learn from Batman Begins? 1. A man and a woman who were childhood friends are definitely romantically involved. I mean, the movie's almost two and a half hours long, and at no point do we see Rachel and Bruce kiss, or even discuss a romantic past or present. Yet, for some reason, Rachel breaks up with Bruce at the end. Even Bruce looks a little confused. I know I was. 2. Combined with the movie's Tropic Cyclone reviewed, Batman has killed a staggering number of people by letting them fall to their death. And 3. I understand Batman is going to fight Superman in an upcoming movie. After Batman begins, I'm rooting for Batman. I said before that Kal-El deserved a spanking, and this Batman is just insane enough to succeed in doing that. Speaking of Batman v Superman, my second movie shall be a departure for this podcast, in that it is rated R, and very deserving of that rating. I chose this particular movie, called Watchmen, because of its director, Zack Snyder. He is the evil director of Man of Steel, and he is currently directing the movie where Batman hopefully spanks Kal-El. We all know how I felt about Man of Steel. I was hoping Watchmen would improve my opinion of Zack Snyder. It did not. The movie itself is almost entertaining, the plot is strong, and the themes, while depressing, are at least interesting and profound. The characters are even flawed in very realistic ways. I mean, let us have a moment of real honesty, Tropic Cyclone. You and I are not entirely right in the head. On either side of the law, you have to be pretty broken to do what we do. And this movie presents that in a fair and even kind way for about six minutes. Then, it goes back to Mr. Snyder's love of sex and sexualized violence. It even has a lengthy rape scene, just in case you weren't disturbed enough already. So, anyway, the world's smartest man and ex-superhero, Ozymandias, has decided to save the world from itself. He's going to destroy several large cities and frame the world's most powerful man for the crime because he believes fear of further godlike vengeance will cause world peace. <sighs> so, again, I say, punching people for peace is really, really evil, and will never work. This movie, however, ends with this plan actually succeeding. World peace is achieved, because people feared the wrath of a godlike being. <laughs> Come to think of it, that's one way guaranteed to fail faster than all the others. I mean, look, once upon a time, people of my world believed the Kraken was an instrument of the god's wrath. Yet, rather recently, it was taken out for a joyride by a spoiled teenager. And, for some reason, world leaders still threatened war on each other. Villains killed innocent high schoolers. And the world kept spinning. Anyway, the movie is actually told from the perspective of a psychopath calling himself Rorschach. He's out to find the killer of a retired superhero called the Comedian. Along the way, he interacts with other heroes and villains of this world. Their history and the history of the world is discussed in great and interesting detail. 
But really, the stupid save the world plan is what the whole plot focuses on. So can we actually learn anything from Watchmen? Certainly. One, even the smartest man in the world can be wrong. Probably not in a trivia contest, or when discussing math problems, but sentient beings are not math problems. Tropic Cyclone insists I am arrogant. Perhaps she is correct. I still know I have imperfections. Two, if you can't laugh at the world, you're not paying attention. And three, just because a writer can quote a poem doesn't mean he understands it. Google the Percy Shelley poem Ozymandias. Watchmen is full of references to and quotes from that poem. And yet, its meaning is almost exactly the opposite of the one implied in the movie. It's also 14 lines of beauty that can negate the horror of Watchmen, so feel free to read it just as an aperitif if you want. This brings us to Demographics Watch, and the addition of several more white faces to our totals. Batman Begins gives us one more white male hero and two more white male villains. As for Watchmen, well, this movie presents an interesting challenge. As I had said before, the characters are presented as flawed and very human, and therefore deciding whether they are hero or villain is difficult. I have decided to go with the director's simplistic interpretation and say that anyone working to oppose the antagonist is a hero. I have also chosen to ignore the background heroes and villains. So Watchmen gives us four white male heroes and one white female hero. It also gives us one white male villain. This brings our totals to heroes, 57 white males, 13 white females, 6 Asian males, 1 Asian female, 7 black males, 3 black females, 1 Maori male, 1 Hispanic male, 1 Native American male, and 1 Native American female. For villains, our totals are 42 white males, 11 white females, 7 Asian males, 2 Asian females, 2 black males, 1 black female, 2 Hispanic females, and 1 Native American male. That about wraps up this episode. Remember that past episodes can be found at our blog at superfrenemies.com or on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you wish to contact me, my email is thecavalier at superfrenemies.com. Tropic Cyclone, if you really want to talk to her, can be reached at tropiccyclone at superfrenemies.com. Stay good, citizens, and remember, I'm calling myself Cavalier Prime.